forget it. Monday, October 5th, 2020. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. The podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories. And puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. Well, I had to record this before International Podcast Day on September 30th. So I don't know if Born the Battle won the Podcast People's Choice Award for the best podcast in the government and organization category. But we're excited to see how it turns out. And we'll definitely let you know next week. Again, like we talked about last week, we have a new podcast in the VA Podcast Network. You can find a teaser out there now in your podcatcher of choice. It's called Tech Talks, and it's about how to contract with the VA or with the government in general. And it has some insights in in that whole arena. So I'm just going to play the teaser again. Here it is. Are you a government contractor? And have you ever wondered what is going through the contracting officer's head during a debrief or how the government even determines its evaluation approach? Or are you on the government side and curious how to structure your source selection better? Are you interested in hearing from a VA senior executive? Come for a peek behind the acquisition curtain as we gain insights from highly esteemed acquisition professionals to include contracting officers and government attorneys, and we dissect varying relevant topics. My name is Mark Junda, and I'm a service director at the Technology Acquisition Center in the Department of Veterans Affairs, where we do cradle-to-grave contracting for VA's IT needs, and we obligate 4 to $5 billion a year. We have some of the best contracting officers and attorneys in the business, and make up, in my humble opinion, the best acquisition center in the federal government. I'll be your host for this five-episode series we call TAC Talks, where we will explore these topics and more. The five-part series dropped on your podcatcher of choice last week. So if you're a veteranpreneur, definitely go check it out as it has some insights on what government acquisition professionals are looking for in the government contract game. Couple ratings, one review last week. This one is from Smule Rusher. I had to Urban Dictionary Smule to ensure I wasn't saying anything bad. Smule Rusher says five stars. Just found this podcast from Rally Point. There are so many nonprofits working to prevent suicides. I'm in Kansas, and one of our organizations is the Forgotten 22. Very well. Smule reviewing the podcast and spitting out knowledge is one way to get it out there. So thank you for doing that. And yes, as I learned from former guest Luke Wade, uh, I learned that Kansas City, uh, from suicide prevention, entrepreneurship, homelessness support, is a very veteran-friendly and veteran-supportive town. And yes, we are just now coming out of Suicide Awareness Month, and it's good to point out there are as many resources as we can. So thank you for giving a shout out to one in the reviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'll look it up as well. Okay, time for news releases. I think we have four that you'll be interested in. First one says, for immediate release, VA's Home Loan Guarantee Program provides regulatory relief in response to COVID-19. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs announced recently that VA is allowing home mortgage loan deferments for veterans who have experienced financial hardships due to the COVID-19 national emergency. In a recent executive order, President Trump directed federal agencies to rescind, modify, waive, or provide exemptions from regulations and other requirements that may inhibit economic recovery. 
Many veterans have taken advantage of the loan forbearance program provided by the Corona Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, otherwise known as CARES Act. Under the act, borrowers who have federally backed loans can receive forbearance for their monthly home loan payments for up to 360 days. Forbearance does not mean forgiveness. As veterans exit their CARES Act forbearance periods, they must work with the mortgage company to determine when to repay the missed amounts. To protect against predatory lending, VA regulations generally prohibit a large lump sum balloon payment from being included in the loan. Uh, You get a forbearance and you got to pay it back all at once. I'm sure you've heard some stories about that. However, temporarily waiving the regulation in these limited circumstances means veterans have additional options when reserving regular payments after a CARES Act forbearance period without penalty, additional interest, or late fees. However, VA cannot require mortgage companies to offer loan deferments. Veterans who want to know whether loan deferment is an option should consult their mortgage company directly. To learn more about VA loan deferment options, visit benefits.va.gov forward slash home loans or call the VA home loan toll free number at 1-877-827-3702. And the phone line is open between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, the second one says for immediate release. VA completes transfer of U.S. Army cemeteries as part of government reform and reorganization effort. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently completed the consolidation of various Army post cemeteries, an action that was first outlined in a 2018 reform plan. The National Cemetery Administration accepted the last Army post cemetery when it took over operations for the Fort McClellan Post Cemetery in Anniston, Alabama. The plan directed the transfer of the perpetual care and operation of the 10 Army Post Cemeteries and one Prisoner of War Cemetery located on former active Army installations. The consolidation alleviates duplicative mission requirements and increases burial options for veterans and their dependents. Fort McClellan was established in 1917 as a mobilization camp for National Guard troops in World War I and served as a major training base for troops during World War II as well as an internment camp for more than 3,000 prisoners of war. After the war, it served as a training facility. The post was closed as part of the 1995 BRAC, or Base Realignment Enclosure Round. The Fort McClellan Post Cemetery was established in 1918 and contains the remains of 441 U.S. military personnel and civilians. The cemetery is closed to new internments, although it will accommodate requests for subsequent internments in existing grave sites for eligible family members. The Army also transferred to VA the Fort McClellan Enemy Prisoner of War Cemetery, which contains the remains of prisoners of war who died while in captivity during World War II. These cemeteries will be operated by Alabama National Cemetery in, and I hope I don't butcher it, Montevallo, Alabama. Fort McClellan is now the 10th Army Post Cemetery to be transferred to VA within the last 15 months. For more information about Fort McClellan Post Cemetery, or Fort McClellan Enemy Prisoner of War Cemetery, contact Steve Weir Santos, Cemetery Director, Alabama National Cemetery, at 205-665-9039. For more information about the transfer of other Army cemeteries, contact the National Cemetery Administration Public Affairs at 202-632-8035. To make burial arrangements at a VA National Cemetery, 
call the National Cemetery Scheduling Office at 1-800-535-1117. All right. Third one says, for immediate release, VA breaks ground on American Indian Veterans Memorial at Riverside National Cemetery. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs Secretary Robert Wilkie recently broke ground on the first American Indian Veterans Memorial at a VA National Cemetery. This is VA's first major monument honoring American Indian, Alaska Native, and Pacific Islander veterans. The memorial is at Riverside National Cemetery and consists of a plaza and a walkway centered on the gift, a twice-life-size bronze statue representing a Native American. Construction is expected to be completed in the next couple of years. The memorial is being paid for with funds raised by the Riverside National Cemetery Support Committee. Riverside National Cemetery is the busiest cemetery managed by the VA's National Cemetery Administration. It was established in 1976 and through the transfer of 740 acres from March Air Force Base. The cemetery was dedicated and opened for burials on November 11, 1978. To learn more about the American Indian Veterans Memorial, contact the Riverside National Cemetery Executive Director Peter Young at 951-653-8417 or visit Nat Sam Riverside on Facebook. Okay, and finally, last one says, for immediate release, VA completes digitization of archived Vietnam-era deck logs. This will enable expedited disability claims for Blue Water Navy veterans. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently announced the completion of the interagency effort with the National Archives and Records Administration to digitize declassified deck logs to process claims faster for eligible Vietnam-era veterans. The U.S. Navy and Coast Guard deck logs within NARA contain helpful information being used to validate claims for Blue Water Navy veterans who served in the offshore waters of the Republic of Vietnam to establish presumption to herbicide exposure for service-connected disability benefits. The digitization of all available Navy deck logs for ships that served in Vietnam were completed in December of 2019, while Coast Guard deck logs were completed just this last September. Veterans, dependents, and surviving spouses may contact approved veteran service organizations for assistance in filing a claim, and you can find a list of them at va.gov forward slash VSO. To learn more about Agent Orange, go to va.gov forward slash disability forward slash eligibility and find the link in the left that says exposure to hazardous materials or call 1-800-827-1000 for more information. All right. I am excited about this week's guest. Our guest is a Marine veteran who was a machine gunner in Afghanistan for two tours is a former Monster Factory Pro Wrestling Heavyweight and Tag Team Champion and is now a WWE Superstar on SmackDown with his group, The Forgotten Sons. So, without further ado, I bring to you Marine Veteran Stephen Kuprick, a.k.a. WWE's Steve Cutler. Enjoy. Come on, Bob. I know. I know. You want to give me that belly. I know. I, I know. I love you, too. I know. Go with your sister. Come on. Good boy. Mama's going to be home. All right. Sorry. 
I somehow want to put that in the podcast some way. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, those two, they were just lounging. They were literally playing for about 30 minutes straight, and then now they're just we're passed out. That's awesome. What kind of dogs do you have? Uh, Fitzgerald is a Chihuahua and a Dachshund mix, uh, which was Deanna's. Uh, well, it is Deanna's. And then Honey is mine, which is uh, – they said a lab uh, – I want to say hound and retriever mix is what they said, so who knows. Gotcha. Mutt dog. Um, okay. So before we get into your military service, uh, Stephen – I want to go back a little bit further because um, you mentioned uh, some of this in your Howcast video. Uh, you, you grew up in Jersey, uh, high school wrestling background. Uh, were, you, were you varsity all four years? No, only three years. Uh, was JV my freshman year, and then uh, sophomore year through senior year was uh, varsity. Um, you said you never placed, but you always asked to take you always asked to take the tough uh, tasks and took pride in. And never getting pinned by some of the by some of those tougher tasks. I always wrestled over my weight. Uh, so like even my freshman year of high school, I probably was about maybe a buck sixty, a buck seventy. Yeah. And I always had to wrestle 160, 171, 189, 215. And then there was a few times where I got bumped to heavyweight just to wrestle, uh, which is still crazy to me that I would, I did that. But my senior year was probably the only time I was ever around uh probably one eighty five uh and two fifteen I would wrestle. Or 189 and 215 at those times with a weight class. And you were wrestling the heavyweights at, at 160? Uh, my freshman year, yeah. And then sophomore year. So it was like one of those things where I was always pretty good at uh, just kind of going out and not getting pinned when now I make a living on getting pinned. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. No, that struck a chord with me because I joined up my high school wrestling team my senior year. but I, And I had no knowledge of wrestling whatsoever. Mm. And, I, you know, sure, I lost. And I lost a lot. I won a couple of matches, but I lost a lot. But I had a... But I had that same attitude that, you know what, they, they may outpoint me, but if I don't get pinned, I save my team some points in the match. Yeah, that was that was always the case, too. And it was always one of those things where when I did win, it meant more. And I always felt more comfortable at that time, like with wrestling, because we always went from football right into wrestling season halfway in. So I'd miss like a couple of the tournaments in the beginning because just be burnt out from playing ball. Sure. Absolutely. Um, Stephen, we're going to start with the same question uh, we start everyone off with. Where and when did you decide that the military was going to be the next step in your life? Honestly, it's been uh, kind of just, just I don't know, as a family background, like my grandfather on my mother's side was Army. Uh, and then on my dad, mm. my dad's side, my dad was a Marine or my dad was Army. Uh, he was a Green Beret. And then uh, my uncle was a Marine. Uh, so it was kind of always there and still in my family. Uh, it was never pushed on me. But um, I don't know. I think 9-11 had a big impact on me. And I've said that like just because I was a freshman in high school and that happened and just something in me told me that's what I needed to do. And um, when college kind of just wasn't the choice for me at that time, like I wanted to go play football in college. And obviously you want to live out that uh, dream of being a college football player and then give a shot at the NFL one day. But it was just one of those things where financially in my family uh, for tuition in college every year just wasn't going to work. So it was just what else can I do? to better myself and what can I have a passion in? And that was something at that time I was passionate in and knew at 18 that I wanted to do. Um, and of course my mom begged me cause Iraq at that time in 2005 with Fallujah was kicking off bad. Uh, so it was yeah. on the news at that time, seeing everything, it wasn't ever good. So of course my mom tried to sway me and my stepfather at the time was just like, do what's in your heart. And so I tried working about a year and a half, uh, cool. 
as a locksmith uh, with my dad's supplier in uh, Bloomfield, uh, New Jersey, uh, Bell Security. And I was doing that and just working a nine to five. It just was was boring to me. And just I needed that fulfillment and excitement in my life and needed to get away. And obviously, uh, the Marine Corps just I walked in and said, I want to leave this date, this date. I want this. I want to be infantry. And my recruiter just tried to still lay out all the foundations and did try to do his job. I'm like, ah, just don't worry about it. I just I want to go infantry. This is what I want to do. I want to go fight. And uh, 2007, uh, November, uh, I was literally the week after Thanksgiving, I was uh, on my way to the footsteps in uh, Paris Island. So you became a grunt with two eight. Uh, it's funny because you know I was in I was in combat camera, uh, but the last battalion I was attached to was two eight's cousin three eight. Okay. Um, two two deployments to Afghanistan. Um, what was your most memorable moment being in country? Uh, there's a lot of good ones, a lot of bad ones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes the bad ones turn to good, which is always the weirdest thing. Um, I don't know. Like I, I share some posts here and there now on like on, on Instagram and it's just funny to kind of like look back at photos and I don't know, like one of the ones I had a wig on, uh, <laughs> that was a good one. My buddy Tracy's mom, uh, sent a care package and it was right before Halloween and we were just starting to rip with, uh, two, two when they were coming in to take over our AO and, uh, Helmand and, uh, I don't know. It was just one of those things where it just kind of was one of those packages that were just big box full of just Halloween stuff, candy, masks, wigs, just a bunch of stupid stuff. And we're right at the end of deployment and we were probably pretty complacent at that time, which isn't the best thing in the world, but we were just ready to leave. Uh, And it was just one of those things that was uplifting. And anytime we got a care package uh, that was just something different instead of just canned foods and letters and whatnot, like letters are always good, but anything we could have fun with to kind of take our mind off of things was always the best. So those are probably the better memories, I would say. And then also getting updates on how uh, the Giants were doing. I'm a Giants fan. So like anytime any info back home from uh, what was going on with the New York Giants was always happy. Those were some good years for the Giants, weren't there? Yeah, they had uh, – because the funny thing, backtrack back to boot camp in 07, uh, when I left, I knew as soon as I left, uh, we pretty much got their asses kicked by the Vikings was the last game I went to that year. Eli threw a bunch of turnovers that game, and it was just like, all right, cool. At least I can go to boot camp thinking the season I don't have to worry about the Giants and have my mind on football. <laughs> and, of course, we get to boot camp. I'm starting to get letters and whatnot. I'm like, watch, they're going to win the Super Bowl while I'm here. Lo and behold, they beat the Patriots. <laughs> but that's even weirder is like four years later uh, – they're in again in 2011, 2012, when I just got in the Marine Corps and then the Super Bowl again with the Pats. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. This is full circle. I get to see this again. It's funny how that happens because the first time the Seahawks had ever gone to the Super Bowl, I'm a Seahawks fan. Okay. I was in I was in Iraq and we won the NFC championship. You know, I saw it from my AFN, you know, station. And it's the only time that I had actually asked to be in country for one extra day because we were flying back the day the Seahawks were going to be in the Super Bowl. Okay. And so I had my buddy, I said, okay, record it. You know, that's when they played the, uh, the Steelers. I said, record it. I'll watch it when I get back. You know, nobody tell me anything. And we're on the plane coming back and the pilot came over the, 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 the intercom and said, Hey, by the way, if you're interested in what the Super Bowl, the Seahawks lost to the, to the Steelers, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I was like, Oh my God, dude. Like, I don't even, I, to this day, I, I have not seen that game ever, ever. That's got to be terrible. Just being in flight and then randomly getting told it's like, oh, there's a nice dig. Thanks. Yeah. It's like, still haven't seen that game. Um, all right. So uh, while you were in, 
Now, what what years did you serve? What what were your did you do one contract? Yeah, I did one contract my four years. Uh, I was I boot camp from November 2007 to uh, November of 2011. While you were in, give me either your best friend or your greatest mentor. Uh, oof, there's a few. Um, at the time, it was Lieutenant Morrow. Uh, he was our uh, platoon commander. Uh, just was a motivator. Uh, he always just tried to push us more in PT and everything and was different. Uh, it wasn't by the book. Like he would do by the book, but he would also listen to our gunny, uh, gunny crutcher at the time. And he let the enlisted take care mm-hmm. of the enlisted, but he also would always kind of help us out on our end with just pushing us, especially on ranges. He would just make these elaborate competitions on, uh, gun lines where we do sprints with ammo cans down the road. I don't know a few clicks and then uh kind of run back and then try to get the gun up assemble it like he would just he was so innovative with trying to just change changing or uh training up with just how it was different and i was always challenging it was fun and he always pushed our platoon and uh that he's he's a good mentor somebody i looked up to uh just for how he carried himself as well but uh i'd have enlisted my buddy reigns he's still in now uh he just got home from overseas, uh, he was on uh, tra- I forget where he was. He would never really tell me what was going on. Sure. Uh, I just mostly keep in touch with his wife, but uh, he just got home uh, and he's a gunny now. And uh, he was a corporal as I just got to two eight, and he was always meritorious. Uh, he's just he's a gung ho marine, but he's also one of the ones that'll speak up for everybody that actually has something on their mind and kind of relay that to higher, which was always the best part about it. But he was one of those guys where I was a young Marine. He didn't want to fraternize at the time too, where I'd see him in the gym all the time and just kind of say hello and just kind of do our thing. And after a while, we just became best friends and uh, actually, uh, but just, he's one of my, he's pretty much my brother. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah he, I'd say he's my other mentor as well, just because of how he carried himself as well. And just would, he was able to filter the BS a little bit better than I would because mm. if there, I, I always just would go head on with stuff. He would just be like, okay, no problem. I would, I was always the person that would take it head on and kind of knit back, which wasn't always liked, but I, that's just me. And I, I'll always stick up for whoever's under me or whoever's with me. If it's uh, going to take care of us. You always got to have a friend like that though. You know, you always got to have a friend like what he meant to say was, yeah. And then like helps filter you as well. Keeps you out of trouble. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I have I have zero filter. If you once you get to know me, I have zero filter, and uh, I kind of usually speak my mind. And uh, it's I know when to shut up. I've learned, uh, but at times, I've if I don't feel something's right, I'll speak up. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the brain in you. Okay, so um, you got out in 2011. What was it like getting out in 2011 for you, as far as support, as far as because um, that was right before the recession, right? Jobs were still pretty good uh no that was kind of during the recession uh right at the that's right right at the start of it pretty much uh, uh it was weird at first like it just was one of those things where you just went from a daily routine to then now i moved back in my parents which a part of me kind of didn't like but my mom and dad were helping me out uh with trying to get on my feet and figure out what's going on and i uh decided to go back to college uh and make use of the gi bill and i was going to rowan university in south jersey so it's kind of nice to be able to save a little bit, get back on my feet in the normal world and kind of, uh, I don't know, it reconnected me with my parents too, which was a good thing. But um, 
Yeah, it was just a weird time. Going out was always just kind of weird. Like I know grocery stores was always weird because I, I just that was one of the weirdest places. Like anything where there was a bigger crowd, my mom would always kind of be like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, just just need a minute. Just kind of just trying to take in. I'm always, I never, anywhere we go out to eat still now, I don't ever have my back to a room, which is weird. But uh, my girlfriend makes fun of me on that part. But uh, sure, yeah, it took a little bit to adjust. And then even going back to school, I was at 25 and here I am with 18 year olds who are all complaining about everything in the world. And I'm just like, ah, oh, you guys have no idea how good you got it. <laughs> so that was always the real hard adjustment was just kind of seeing how society was. Like four years in the Marine Corps, you didn't realize uh, you miss so much, especially on deployment. Like you're just out of the loop of everything and movies and everything, pop culture. And like, I don't know half the thing anyway, uh, anything nowadays, I really don't understand pop culture sometimes too. Cause it just, I don't know. I, I'm in my own little bubble sometimes with wrestling and uh, just sticking to home. That and we're getting to that age of of just not caring about pop culture. We like what we like back in our day, you know. Yeah, pretty much. It's uh, even in the gym. I noticed with like playlists on my phone uh, with just music. I'm like, ah, oh, today's music is not that good. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, so what did you do when you first got out? Was was wrestling already on your mind? Uh, yeah, wrestling was one of those uh, one of those goals I wanted to attain. Because uh, while I was uh, in, uh, I was home on leave. Maybe about right before we deployed on my first tour, I was home on leave, and one of my buddies was on the Indies, uh, the Independence, and uh, went to a local bar in Rutherford at home in Jersey. And uh, he's like, "Hey, my buddy uh, Fred's here from WWE. Want to meet him?" I was like, "Hell yeah!" Oh wow. I was like, why would I not want to talk to somebody in WWE? So uh, Darren Young is his, uh, he used to go by in WWE. Okay. Yeah. Sat down. We talked for a while and he just, it was one of those things where uh, he's just like, you got a good story. He's like, when you're out, he's like, you have a good look. Once you're out, he's like, just, uh, if you want to like pursue this, he's like, don't, don't shun it. And at the time I'm just like, there's no way. I was like, I'm not the size of Hulk Hogan. I'm like, that's my thought process. It's like, I'm not six, four, six, five jacked out of my mind. Yeah. I was like, you have Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Austin, I just you just think of those names. Right? There's no possible way, and uh, that was just one of those things where I kept in touch. And my buddy Jarrett, when I got out, he's like, "Hey, you still want to give it a shot?" He's like, "Come to the one school I go to." I was like, "Yeah, no problem." And then I got in a ring, and uh, just it felt natural, uh, felt normal, and uh, fell in love. And uh, I sought out the Monster Factory in South Jersey by my parents' house. Was going to school just because it made a little bit easier on travel and time. Uh, to go train while also going to school. Sure. But uh, once I got in the foot in those doors, Danny Cage and Larry Sharp at the time uh, just took me under their wing and uh, taught me and uh, taught me the basics, which was great. And then Bill Wiles was there as a trainer and uh, Blue Meanie as well, Brian. And they just helped me out from the get-go. And about a year and a half later after that, uh, while still going to school, uh, Gerald Briscoe came in. Oh, wow. I was a talent scout for WWE. Yeah. And uh, we had a tryout seminar there and he came in and we sat down and instantly talked. And uh, not even two months later, I had a tryout August of 2013. Uh, and then I got a call in October of 2013 that I was getting hired in the process and they wanted to sign me. So <laughs> it's kind of weird to uh, go from going to school and just out of nowhere, just, all right, cool. We're just, we're going down this road now. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> that, and that's a quick turnaround for a lot of people, for a lot of wrestlers, you know, a lot of, a lot of wrestlers spend year, years and years in the Indies, but you were at the monster factory pro wrestling, uh, side note that, that, that is the same school that produced Bam Bam Bigelow and King Kong Bundy, right? 
Yes. And uh, also nowadays, if you know Matt Riddle yep. uh, and Luis Martinez also trained there as well. Uh, who's the North American champion now in NXT and then uh, real QT Marshall, uh, who's in AEW, uh, trained there as well. And uh, they all helped me. Uh, Riddle got there a little bit after I did, but uh, QT and uh, Luis were always there. And I got to work with them a few times and they helped me along in my career as well of learning properly. Uh, so that's one of those things I don't, I don't take for granted. And for the time that I got to WWE and how long it did take me and how long other people dream of getting here it's it's a blessing on that yeah you became uh the monster factor pro wrestling's champ in a, in a very short time in about a year right like within a year you being there yeah because i had my first match in november of 2012 uh and i started training there i did a tryout there in may of 2012 and then i took a little bit of a hiatus because i was trying for state police in new jersey at the same time as well so i was really going towards that physical and then with uh, school as well kind of just got my uh calendar kind of uh stuck at that time so i gave wrestling a hold for about a month and then danny contacted me back that august and then lo and behold november i had my first match and uh it was a battle royal which was fun and then i had a match against donnie hart as well on the same card um yeah i was nervous caked in baby oil pair of gray and black <laughs> leggings uh couldn't breathe i had no idea what i was doing and I had to lead the match. So I was just, that was more nerve wracking. So it was just one of those things. It's just funny how you go from then to now and you're always learning in the business. And that's the fun part. And you don't take it for granted too. It, it's interesting for me to, to listen to wrestlers uh, because they all come from different ways into the business. Uh, I've had a couple of other wrestlers before on the podcast. Uh, Jan Ostrom, who was an independent, uh, but he trained with Scorpio Sky and Frank Kazarian. But he's also a VA employee, also a veteran. Okay. And AEW's Big Swole, uh, both of those are in our archives, by the way. Uh, one thing that I regret that I didn't ask either of them that I'm going to ask you, uh, biggest wrestling inspiration, who from the annals of wrestling inspired Steve Cutler? To become one? I would say, I don't know, like growing up, my favorite match that I remember that I played all the time growing up was WrestleMania 10, Brett and Owen. Oh, wow. Uh, that match just, I don't know. That was one of those stories. Like it was weird because I was a Bret Hart fan growing up and then Owen kind of came along and I, I'm only child. So like it was kind of weird to feel for the younger brother. It's just like, oh, wow, Bret is a bit of a bit of an asshole. <laughs> so it's just like one of those things where it's big brother versus little brother. And then you're just like, all right, I kind of like Owen because he beat Bret. I'm like, oh, wow, he is good. So it's like that's where wrestling kind of like makes you feel. And uh, that's one of those cool things. And then, of course, WrestleMania 13, like Stone Cold came on the map at that time, right beforehand, and him and Brett facing my, yeah. my my favorite of Bret Hart. And then I'm like, well, Stone Cold became my favorite wrestler ever at that moment. So it was just like, if there's any inspiration, it's just from watching matches like that. Uh, like anytime there's a memory of a, just me being a kid, like growing up, my grandparents, they were the ones that got me into wrestling. So just sitting there and like just watching with them was always fun. It's always good when there's a story behind the match. And if there's a story being told within the match, for me, it was, uh, you know, I, I'd, I watched the same matches like that, like you're talking about. And, and you're and you're referencing wrestlers that kind of had the same build as you, uh, you know, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, smaller guys. Um, you know, Shawn Michaels was around at that time. So there, it wasn't just the Giants. So you, you actually were able to identify with somebody with on the roster at the time. Yeah. And that was always the best too. Cause like you look back at like, even like, the story of just Bret Hart at King of the Ring, uh, was it 94? Yeah, when he, he went through Bam Bam, Razor, Perfect. 
And it was just the build and like they made a guy that like just the, the commentators told the story and then he told the story every match. Like he wrestled Razor, who's a bigger guy, more physical. And then he wrestled Perfect, who is Mr. Perfect's one of the best wrestlers ever. Like if you don't yeah. look at wrestling and think of Mr. Perfect, he's just was, oh my God, Kurt Henning was amazing. And then he goes from that match that was just a classic. And then he goes to Bam Bam and like there's no way he can beat Bam Bam. He's got his knee hurt. It's just – it just I don't know. It's one of those stories that sticks out to me all the time. That's like one of the greatest nights of pro wrestling. Uh, and yeah. from a guy like Bret Hart and like you said, with the builds, I guess. Yeah, I never really looked at it that way. Like those are the guys that I look to. But that was always where I the Intercontinental title was always like the bigger title to me at that time, I guess. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I, for me, it was um, I remember being uh, my senior year in high school and watching Jeff Hardy versus uh, Undertaker, the ladder match. I think it was on a SmackDown and it was his first t- chance at a title. To me, that was like the epitome of storytelling within a match. I, I love that match from SmackDown. But um, So we talked about how you got in the WWE. Uh, by the way, a decent amount of history of Marine veterans in WWE. I think more I think more than any other service, right? You got Sergeant Slaughter, yeah. Road Dog, now you, Lacey Evans, who has exploded within the last year or so, by the way. Yeah, she's doing uh, she's doing well for herself, and uh, she's actually helping the military community out with uh, her platform very, very much with the military makeover, which I commend her completely for doing. Yeah, yeah, Montez Ford as well. I uh, was part of the Street Profits. He was a Marine as well. That's right. And then, uh, of course, Jackson Riker, uh, part of the uh, Forgotten Sons as well. My brothers. Absolutely. Um, no, yeah, it, it's it's amazing to see where where Lacey has gone. Quick story on that, showing you how small the world is. Her, I think her very first photos of her as a wrestler was outside of Paris Island and, and Beaufort. And one of my former Marines, a combat photographer, was the one that took her the photos. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, this is a small world. Yeah, she's taking care of, uh, as she says, all the nasties. So she's doing her thing, which is good. So um, you were in NXT for a number of years, uh, 2014 to just recently. You're now part of the SmackDown roster in a stable. Uh, one that you've been in since since NXT, the Forgotten Sons. Uh, we haven't seen you for a bit, uh, but I hope you and the stable co- do come back soon because watching the initial Forgotten Sons promo, bro, you and I have DM back and forth about that on Instagram. Mm-hmm. There is definitely some personal history and veteran influence wrapped up in the stable. It, for me, it's like a biker gang. It's it's very Sons of Anarchy. And it makes sense because many of the biker gangs that we know in real life, you know, Hell's Angels and the like, were formed by disillusioned Vietnam veterans when they came home and fell out of place with society when they came back. So it makes sense to me. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny how it all worked out, too, with uh, how Blake and I kind of came together because he was doing his thing. He was with Blake and Murphy uh, and Alexa for a little bit. They were the tag champs in NXT. And I was doing a bit uh, called the America's Greatest Son as my character. And I was kind of being uh, very condescending as a veteran, uh, like kind of like, oh, you want to thank me for my service? Oh, now you want to thank me type thing. <laughs> and it was kind of catching along with creative and they were liking it. And they said, keep doing this. Like, but you can walk that line a little bit, but don't cross it. Like, but if you want to like test the waters, I'm like, okay, no problem. Like. I'm fine with that's the best part of NXT when when uh, is like trying to figure out you and how you can make certain things work. Yeah. And that was one of the things I was doing. And then uh, when Blake and Murphy kind of ended, he was on his way back from an Australia tour. And beforehand, he started this gimmick called the Beautiful Blake. And it was very flamboyant. And 
then Velveteen Dream came along and then it kind of ended Blake's uh, kind of character because it was not fitting to what they wanted as the narrative. So Blake texted me as they were on the way back from Australia. said, hey, are you really serious about being a tag team? I'm like, yeah, because that was the writing on the wall at that time. And NXT was getting on as a singles guy is very hard, uh, especially with the influx of uh, guys that make their name on the independents and then come in and go straight to TV. Yeah. So Blake and I started the tag team. We did a few promos in class and uh, creative loved it. And they said, uh, can you be funny? We did one week funny promo. Can you be serious? We did another week where we were serious. And then it just kind of morphed into this thing uh, of Blake and Cutler. And we didn't get the Forgotten Son name until we were technically originally going to debut in Atlanta. Uh, I want to say it was 2017 uh, for the Dusty Cup. Mm. And uh, they were like, well, we're not going to date. We did a match. Uh, it was a squash match. Get over. And then we announced with a promo that we're going to be part of the Dusty Cup. And we're the first entrance and telling everybody about it. And then afterwards, creative came to us. They said, ah, well, uh, you guys are going to lose the next round and we're just debuting you. So we don't want you to get squashed that way that quick when we're, it's a new team coming on the scene. So we're just not going to air the match. We're like, oh, OK, great. So it's just back to the drawing board. <laughs> it was one of those things where like, all right, what do we do? So then we just kept trucking along, keep being patient, keep working, keep working and hacking and throwing ideas to creative. And uh, that's when Riker came along. And we worked a few live events together uh, where we kind of knew like Chad fit the the, the mold because uh, obviously being Marine and kind of with us just as a heater, bigger guy, intimidating. I'm like, okay, cool. We could be the loudmouth hyenas and then he can be our anchor where we just hide behind him type thing. But then it didn't really kind of come that yeah. way. We just all molded into this tight knit unit uh, and that eventually became the Forgotten Sons. Uh, and then we debuted against the Street Profits in October of, uh, I want to say, 18, I would say. 18, yeah, 2018. Uh, my, I, we've been in NXT so long, so just the year, the time frame always kind of goes back and forth on us when we try to talk and remember matches. But uh, sure, we did debut against the Street Profits, and then uh, that's kind of when the world got to see who we were. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a ride since. That initial promo for the Suns, and and we'll put it on on your blog on blogs.va.gov. Okay. That that promo when it says, "When we've given enough of ourselves to the cause," and then it shows the U.S. EGA patch on your biker vest. Man, did did the producer know what he was invoking when they wrote that, or when they put that shot in? Were you guys consulted on that promo and what that overall character means? No. So it's kind of funny with. It's kind of funny with creative, uh, since we've been called up, it's been better communication than we had in NXT. Not saying it, it was bad in NXT, but yeah. it's just kind of been more hands-on to where we can be there to talk. And uh, a lot of the verbiage they would give us from the scripts uh, were very like, oh, wow, this is actually something I kind of would say. But then we'd reform it into how we would speak it and say it. And uh, we'd send it back yeah. and then they'd come back. They'd be like, oh, well, Mr. McMahon wants you to write th or say this. So if you can get this line in there. And it's just one of those things where you work back and forth. And it's like, no problem. But uh, yeah, they kind of got our the gist of us. I feel main roster on SmackDown creative had more of an understanding what to do with us than NXT because it's just a, both NXT, SmackDown and Raw are all different. Like NXT is more wrestling based and kind of getting a character out there. But more or less, it's everything's based on wrestling where Raw and SmackDown is the entertainment part of WWE. I, I think your stable, and we've talked about this, I think your stable can be so effective in telling the veteran story and that the way that you're presented can tap into how veterans feel when they transition into civilian life. I think I shared with you that survey that GotYour6.org did a couple of years ago that the majority of civilian population viewed 
veterans as, as broken heroes or damaged leaders uh, when you know the majority of us of us veterans simply we simply aren't and I mm-hmm. I think most of us are, are disciplined and goal driven and that's st- and that stays with us uh, and many of us don't beat around the bush concerning the job that needs to be done but many of us are just normal folks that are just looking for an opportunity when we're pigeonholed or stereotyped yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, I've, I've been, people always ask me too, like, Hey, I was like everything good. Like towards the sense of like, Oh, what are you guys up to? Like what's going on with the forgotten sons right now? And it's just like, Oh, we're just being patient. Uh, like it's not our time in the movie right now. And that's also one yeah. of the things I don't think people realize WWE is an entertainment company and that plays off of wrestling. Wrestling is just there, but it's an entertainment company. So it's just like whatever fits the mold of certain characters that have to be on the television show. And right now we're not in there and it's not working into the timeline of what they want. And it's just waiting our part again. And Blake and I have waited long enough in NXT to get our shot. And it's just one of those things where we are patiently waiting and we know the, we know our role. It's that's the way the business. And uh, at the same time, I'm grateful enough to have a job during COVID and still be able to be employed. Absolutely. And that's one of the things you don't take for granted, but that's also where we can control what we can control. And that's one of the things in the house that we talk about now, Dion and I, my girlfriend, it's just like, we try to just worry about us, do what we can and give back when we can. I can't wait to see you guys back on because I think you're, you could be so effective in telling a veteran's story. Uh, For example, I, I remember my wife coming home and I I think I shared this, this photo on, on Instagram recently. I remember my wife coming home and telling me a story uh, at her work that her her coworker saw a picture of me in boots and utes and I wasn't smiling. And the first thing her coworker told her was what's wrong with him? Has he, has he been treating his, has he been treating his PTSD? And I, and I've never talked to this person ever. Mm-hmm. It was a complete assumption. And my wife was like, no, he just didn't like me taking his picture at four 30 in the morning before he went to PT. <laughs> and I, and I'll, I'll never forget that story. And I think, you know, and the reason I'm, I'm so excited about the Forgotten Sons, Sons is because I think your stable can tap into that feeling that I had and you can either react as a heel, you know, mm-hmm. resenting everyone for it or as a face that can rive, rise above that stigma. Like it, you can go either way with that. Yeah. And that's even one of the cooler things, too, is like for how you viewed us as more of a Sons of Anarchy style look, too, because that's also what Blake and I wanted to make our image of was kind of off of that Jackson Opie type look. And that kind of caught on because it was different from what everybody was doing. So then it caught attention that way on how we looked, how we dressed. And then now we kind of have that veteran look, which is good because most guys get out, they grow a beard, they grow their hair out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's just one of those things like, oh, it's great. So it's just funny how people can relate and even to the picture of you at 4.30 in the morning, not smiling. Well, of course you don't want to take a picture at 4.30 in the morning. You want a PT. So like Matt Bloom all the time in the PC, I'd be in the gym. Be like, why are you so angry in the gym right now? I'm just like, I'm here to do work. Like I'm in the gym. Like I'll, I'll smile when I have to smile, but uh, just let me do my job. I, I had a sergeant one time that, you know, and he'd go to the base gym and my, and my wife would be there too, but they didn't really know each other, but they, she's like, I saw your sergeant. And he just looks so angry in the gym all the time. Like he looks in the mirror and is just like, like he hates himself. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how we feel every time we're in the gym. Because, you know, it's, it's a job. It's, it's yeah, a complete yeah. job. I had a, I actually had a person in the sauna to me in the gym uh, a few months or well, right before COVID hit. But uh, so probably April, March, or yeah, March timeframe, I would say. It's when everything kind of got shut down. But I had a person in the sauna just saying, you have a resting 
pace. And I'm just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm just like, really? That's- I'm not really angry. I'm very, I'm very approachable human being. But like when I have my headphones on, I'm kind of in my zone. And that's where I just kind of – that's when my mind is just probably at its best of thinking sometimes is when I'm just on my own. I have my headphones in. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just doing my thing and just kind of thinking. And, it's your focused face. Yeah. And then that's my time. Like Deanna knows like the gym's my time like type thing. So it's like give me my two hours a day and that's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, going back to, to Forgotten Sons, um, you know, it's – it's you talk we talked about Sons of Anarchy and it's a little – you know, Aces and Eights tried that back in TNA. But I think what you guys are doing – adding the veteran element, it makes it way more deeper than what that stable was. It's one of those things too, is like the three of us together, like we have our own story together as the Forgotten Sons, but each person has their own individual story. Like Riker has his own version of him being a veteran, a dad, Blake, kid from Texas, went to college, worked his butt off. And then he came to Florida chasing the dream of being a wrestler and went to the Funkin' Dojo Hmm. at Dory Funks and uh, trained, got here the same way I did pretty much the he and I were on the Indies the same amount of time, not even. And uh, he's just, he's one of the greats in in the company that people I don't think realize Blake is one of the best wrestlers in the world, but um, he has his story. And then like, do you have me to have my own? And we all have our own way to tell it. And the best is when we do have our promos, we all kind of talk to each other and we give feedback. Like, like that's the one thing too. The three of us are very honest with each other. Yeah. And like how you're saying, well, Ace is an eight. So it was more of a biker thing. This is something else. And we all three of us can tap into something that many people don't have the ability to as a story from their own backstory. And that's one thing I can't wait to tell the world like yeah. on screen and how we do it. And also how creative wants to tell our story is the fun part too, of seeing how they think of us is it's, that's the fun part. And- now you had the opportunity to be really deep, to go really deep. And, and, and what, what did, I think was it Austin said at one time when you're able to turn your own personal story up to 10 in the, in the ring and in your persona, that's when you find success. And I think you guys really have a chance to do that. Um, okay. From monster factory to NXT to SmackDown. Now I'd ask you what the biggest difference is and you'd probably say crowds, but you're entering SmackDown at a, at a unique time in history with COVID. Yeah. So what would be the biggest difference between the, the three there? obviously COVID and the crowds, like you said, uh, and it's just funny for us because we've been in the performance center so long. And then of course our debut is at the performance center uh, instead of in front of a crowd uh, in a sold out arena, uh, which is what you hope for uh, and dream of. But at the times you just, you deal with the punches and you go with it. SmackDown, I don't know, going, getting up to SmackDown was just, I don't know. It was a different feel. Like NXT was, it's, it's still where we got our start and, started catching our stride a little bit and figuring out who we were. But uh, for SmackDown, it was just to go against New Day and Miz and Morris and Lucha House Party, like to start stories there and see the capability that we can, that we do have uh, and what we bring to the table. And for the talent that's there, it's one of those things where everybody's just there to make each other better and make the product better. So I would say that's the difference of uh, it's just more, more the experience level, I would say. Gotcha. Yeah, no, you guys went right after the tag champs on your debut. debut. Uh, check that out. Um, what's the goal of the Forgotten Sons? Uh, you know, before you left, you guys you guys let, went right after the tag champs. Yeah, and we, we beat the tag champs too, which uh, I don't know if people forget that. No pun intended, but uh, 
No, we beat the uh, the New Day was the tag champs at that time, but right now Shinsuke and Cesaro are the tag champs on SmackDown, and uh, that's that's pretty much Blake's and I's goal, and I know Riker as well. Yeah, uh, and then just getting back into the swing of things on TV and seeing what's going on and the capabilities we could have to deal with a group like Retribution. Uh, we don't know who they are, what's going on. Uh, tag teams, the talent that's there. You got Otis and Tucker, Heavy Machinery. Uh, Usos, I know, are probably on their way back. Uh, New Day. You have Big E doing his own thing, but I'm pretty sure he'll still tag with Kofi. Uh, but yeah, the just our possibilities are endless in WWE, and you don't know what's going to happen the next day because everything's ever-ending and ever-changing. Yeah, look at Otis, man. He uh, He's broken out from, from a tag scene. Oh, yeah. um, you guys coming back soon? Uh, couldn't tell you. Uh, and I wouldn't tell you either way. Uh, it's, you'll have to <laughs> Good, good. Very good. Um, very good. It's just one of those things where it's, uh, we're being patient and doing what we can, uh, and waiting for our spot and waiting for our time. And, uh, it's coming. Don't worry. It's coming. Tracking, tracking. Um, now the, the other Marine veteran on SmackDown, Lacey Evans, uh, any potential recruitment there for the Forgotten Sons? You know, I, I did read somewhere that there was a, a brief association at one time in NXT. Yeah, that was uh, that was good booking by uh, Steve Carino in NXT. We uh, gave it a shot to see how it would look. And that's the, the the best part of live events in NXT. It's where creations can come to life and see how it could be. And that's it's an idea for something down the road. We don't know. But uh, that would be also something that Lacey would want to be aboard, uh, on board with. Yeah. Because she's doing her thing right now, which is great. But uh, with the... We all have, we all strive to have long careers, and uh, we all want to grow and uh, evolve as characters as well. So that could be an evolution down the road of uh, characters and something that could possibly happen. But who knows? Tracking. All right, cool. Um, Steve, what's what's one thing that you learned during your military service that you carry with you today? Could always be worse. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It could, always, right. It could yeah. always be worse. We that is to, right. We always used to tell each other, I'm like, ah, it could be worse. It could be raining. That was always the big uh, thing. We always have that 2 8 rain cloud would always follow us to the field. And then, uh, but that and then someone would pull out some charms and then it would actually rain. Yeah. Well, that, charms weren't a thing uh, anymore. When I, in 07, there were no more charms really in MREs. Uh, so that was one of those things where it's like, uh, okay, that little nostalgia kind of went away. But uh, it was still, if they were there, wow. we always knew the rules. So. Well, maybe I get some old ass MREs. I don't know. Yeah, probably. I, I do not. I do not miss MREs that much, except for the beef stew with uh, making my own concoctions. But uh, there you go. There yeah. you go. Like I said, but yeah, I would say everything could always be worse. Uh, and like that's something that's kind of carried through everything. Like I don't know. I just when things go bad nowadays, I'm just like, ah, hey, whatever. Could be worse. It's just yeah. You you, you just share an, an old photo of yourself in a foxhole, just. Given middle fingers, you know. Yeah, or yeah, <laughs> it's the easier way. Like, like stuff just really doesn't bother me as much anymore. I would say just because I'm just I don't know, just for life experience, and I know you as well. Like, it's one of those things. Where, All right, cool. We'll just keep moving. Do what we can. You, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't control it. Absolutely. Um, Stephen, is there a is there a veteran nonprofit or individual whom you've worked with, or you've had experience with, whom you'd like to mention? Uh, offhand, no. Uh, honestly, I've, I, that's one thing I want to get into more on my own, uh, outside of work. And, uh, Deanna and I have actually talked about that too, of how could I get more involved with the VA myself? 
uh, or just any veteran organization to help uh, outside of WWE on my own terms and on my own time. Uh, just because outside of work, I really only have the gym and I'm trying to find something that I'm more passionate about outside of work. And constantly all I do is talk about military and constantly just yeah. talk to my buddies who are still in my buddy Reigns and Barry. So it's like fun. One of those things where I can help on my end and use my platform to help veterans. And, uh, but I, that's something I would love to do. And even if once wrestling's over, I would love to still continue to do because you never forget where you want to come from. And, uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things where if I could help somebody, even if it's one person that's, uh, going through something or to even just talk, uh, it would make more of a difference than not doing it at all. Well, I can tell you one thing there, Stephen. Uh, I ask that question every every episode. So if you ever need any ideas, man, just start going through those Born the Battle episodes, and they're usually towards the back end of the episode. Awesome, appreciate. And there's it. All, they're always talking about different. Yeah, there's always they're always talking about different organizations that some that are big, some that are small, some that are local, some that are national. So hopefully, maybe those can spark some ideas for you. Yeah, no, uh, I know WWE deals with Higher Heroes USA. Higher Heroes uh, USA is an organization that helps uh, military veterans getting back into uh, society after uh, back into civilian life uh, with resumes, uh, job platforms, and just trying to get their name out there to find employment. And I know for me, if it wasn't for wrestling and even going to college, I don't know what I would have ended up doing other than. Yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. I can't imagine what it's like not having something and trying to figure out everything on the go and just on the fly uh, and yeah. not knowing how to do that. Because most guys are just used to being in the military life and everyday life of everything kind of done for them and being told what to do. And now it's on you. And I know with separations, leaving the Marine Corps, like they kind of help you out a little bit, but you still don't know. No, being in the Marine Infantry, uh, you 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 know the name Brian Stan. Mm-hmm. He's been on the show and he talked. He's a, a good representative of Higher Heroes. Um, that's a great episode if anybody wants to check that out. Um, Stephen, we've we've covered a lot of ground. Um, is there anything else that I may have missed, or that I didn't ask that you think is important to share to someone uh, that may be listening? I don't. Towards veterans, I'm pretty sure most veterans listen to these podcasts and. Uh, just know that there's always somebody out there to talk to if you're going through something, uh, if you need help. Uh, anytime I'm having a problem or anything, I always uh, – I pretty much text or call my buddy Barrier Reigns whenever we're going through something. Uh, it's just those are the people you can relate to. So talk. It's, don't be afraid to talk. Don't uh, – even to just reach out if you were to reach out to me on Instagram, I, I will gladly listen and gladly talk as well. And I'm pretty sure you would as well. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, don't don't be afraid to talk because I was afraid to talk for a while. And that was one of the things that was hard for me was just uh, getting back into the real world of that, being able to open up and kind of just uh, being that shy guy again. Now I'm just a loudmouth and idiot again, being my infantry self. <laughs> but uh, yeah, don't be don't be afraid to talk to people or reach out to anyone. And uh, that's one of those things where uh, I take whole heart. Like if you ever needed to chat, I'm always here to chat and goes for anybody pretty much in life if they need a home they can get a home loan if they need education they can get education if they were hurt in service we pay compensation if you weren't hurt in service but you fell on hard times we give you pension there's just an array of benefits out there for veterans and we really want to just make sure that all the veterans know what's out there choose va today for more information visit va.gov 
or call 1-855-948-2311. I want to thank Stephen for taking the time to share a story with us. For more information on Stephen, you can find it at wwe.com forward slash superstars and just navigate till you find Steve Cutler. Our Born the Battle Veteran of the Week comes by the way of our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital team recognizes a veteran for their service on all of our social media accounts and on blogs.va.gov. You can send in your own nomination by emailing newmedia at va.gov. Ramona M. Valdez was born in the Dominican Republic. She immigrated to Bronx, New York as a child with her mother and sister. She graduated from the Jane Addams High School at the age of 15. Valdez attended community college before enlisting in the Marine Corps in 2002 to help provide for her family. She completed basic training at Paris Island in South Carolina and went to the Marine Corps base Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. It was here that she became a communications specialist and met her future husband. Serving with the 2nd Marine Division, Valdez worked with the counter improvised explosive device working group. Her knowledge of single channel radios contributed to the group's success and had a significant influence on the communications field. As part of Headquarters Battalion, 2nd Marine Division, Valdez deployed to Iraq in January of 2005. While serving with the female search force, she monitored security checkpoints and searched Iraqi women and children. Valdez planned to leave the Marine Corps and live near her family in Pennsylvania to pursue a career in law enforcement. However, in June of 2005, as her convoy returned to Camp Fallujah, a suicide bomber drove a car into them. The explosion killed Valdez, as well as five others. Valdez was only three days from her 21st birthday when she passed away. In 2007, the Marine Corps renamed the 2MEF Communications Training Center to the Valdez Training Facility to honor Valdez's contributions to the communications field. Valdez is survived by her husband, mother, father, and younger sisters. Marine veteran Ramona Valdez, we honor her service. Ready. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I am reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here 
next week. Take care. Every once in a while, I do what's called an after the show show, just be, for lack of a better name. I don't know what else to call it. Yeah. But if you listen, if you listen to the full episode, if you listen to all the music, the music at the end, as a reward, sometimes you get a little extra story that may not be relevant to anything else that we talked about. It could be something from the field, from a deployment, could be something after the service. Do you have a story to share on the after the show? Show. What kind of story could I tell? I could actually tell a really bad story when I was in Machine Gun Leaders course. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so Machine Gun Leaders course is uh, probably my favorite time in the Marine Corps. I just got back from my first tour. Bunch of units go to it at uh, Camp Geiger. Uh, they send their best uh, Marines that are usually uh, on their way to be an NCO or NCO or higher. And uh, I was a Lance Corporal at the time. And of course, my objective on this entire uh, – Everybody got an objective each day. So it was like a three or four day at the range. And I had the Mark 19 range. But the night before, we ended up having a lot extra downtime on, uh, I want to say it was Verona Loop uh, in Jacksonville on Camp Lejeune. And we somehow, everybody snuck booze uh, out to the field, which was actually uh, pretty funny. And uh, <laughs> somehow we got it to where he had dominoes delivered to the range late at night because all, oh all, all of higher – it just ended up turning into just a big party, which was kind of funny. And I remember waking up – I just remember waking up with uh, my poncho liner just in the middle of the field, just so hungover the next morning. And I had to run a Mark 19 range. But the bad thing is we all had to tear down and then hump everything over to the actual range. Uh but uh, probably not the best thing to do, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, that, that That's one of those things where it's just like, I don't know how we did it, but we did it. But uh, yeah, whew. but that was, that was a fun night.